Good morning, Tapestry. Welcome um, to yet another week of being together online. I'm glad that you are with us. We are in part four um, of this series, The Way Forward. Um, and we are doing this series because the nation seems to have its full attention on just a myriad of issues that we are facing right now. And um, for some of the things right now, it, uh, your, your guess is as good as anybody's guess as to how we as a nation are going to move forward. And, and as we've looked over the last several weeks, we've seen that there are some things that we can do as Christians um, to help facilitate getting the nation from where we're at to moving in a positive direction forward in all of the issues that we are facing. And, and we don't need to wait for a bunch of people that we don't know in Washington, D.C. to do it for us. So we began by asking the question, what can we do? And the very first principle that we looked at was this, is that the way forward begins with we, not they. Um, we are um, conditioned as a society, as Americans, as Americans in our specific political system, we are conditioned to split ourselves into groups of we and they, and they are the problem every time. Um, but if we, could, if we could begin to do some of the simple things that, that God lays out for us, um, we would begin to move the dial on these issues. And it begins with we. And so two weeks ago, we talked about finding the way forward by doing a fearless moral inventory, right? And we said, you can't get to where you need to be until um, you face up to where it is that you really are. And we asked ourselves, we asked ourselves some hard questions. And I challenge you to look in the mirror and look deep within yourself on some things. Um, it was an uncomfortable week. But, but then last week, um, we talked about the importance of moral authority. That is, um, that is having more than just a title that gives you some authority. But having more authority, both in our lives personally, as Christians, as believers, and in the lives of our leaders. Right? And if our country is going to move forward, we need leaders who are more interested in maintaining their moral authority uh, than they are in getting reelected. That, that is the, the, their actions and their personal life and the things that go on when no one's looking, um, their motivations, they match the things that they say in public. Um, and if we had the courage to vote for people with moral authority, regardless of whichever party they may be in, our, our nation would begin to work its way forward from all of these issues that we are facing. And now we're to week four, right? And here's what we're going to be dealing with in week four is that the way forward begins with a declaration of dependence, and if you have ever um, moved forward from anything in your life, th there was probably a point in time in the process where you just kind of got to a spot where you just threw up your hands and you said, I, I can't do this on my own. I cannot do this alone. And for some of you, when you got to that point, it, it may have been the first time in a long time that you prayed. 
right? Whether, whether you were trying to move forward from a, a marriage, from financial issues, from an addiction or from a, some sort of career collapse, um, relationships falling apart, whatever it was, you got to a point where you realized that it was all bigger than you and you needed help. And what is true individually in that we get to the point where we've got to realize we need help. What's true individually is true corporately and what's true corporately is true nationally. For there to be forward movement in everything that we're facing in this unbelievably crazy year, there has to be a point in which we as a nation are willing to declare that we need someone smarter, someone greater, someone more powerful than us. That in fact, we need God. We need God. Right now, now, the hard thing about this is that there's a resistance amongst our national leaders to declare any kind of dependence on God, isn't there? I mean, that's just not, that's just not the, the, the attitude. That's not the, that's not the tenor coming out of Washington. And listen, it is grateful in those positions. It is difficult to be grateful to God. There are phrases that get thrown around within political speak, you know, ending speeches with God bless you or God bless America. And, but that's about as close as we get as a nation to admitting any kind of dependence on God. That's about it. Um, but if God doesn't give us wisdom and if God doesn't give us new ideas and knowledge, then listen, we are not going to be able to work our way out of this. We're just not. And there is such resistance to admitting nationally a dependence on God. One of the most glaring examples of this that I can remember and this stands out because it just blew me away, was that when, um, was it the memorial service at Ground Zero where the Twin Towers fell after they were hit by the planes on 9-11? And, and the, the organizers of the event had made the decision to within that memorial service, um, they had made the decision that there was not gonna be any clergy, there was not gonna be any prayer, which to me is amazing because listen, 19 years ago when that event was taking place, there were more prayers going up from that piece of real estate than anywhere in the world. And there were prayers going up outside of that piece of real estate for that piece of real estate. I mean, just the amount of prayer that surrounded that issue. There were more prayers coming up from that city than any other city in the world on that September morning. And the thought that there would be a memorial service on that ground with no clergy and no prayer, I mean, it just struck me as to where we were as a nation. But luckily, stepping into the gap that day um, was the president who in his speech read from Psalms 46, which is, if you go back and read Psalms 46, it is an incredible prayer of dependence upon God. But, but, but why the drama? Why, why the tension? Why the... 
Why, why the pushback? And not just on that nation, not just on that event, but events all over, all over the nation. Why, why are we so unwilling to acknowledge God? Right? Well, why are we so unwilling to acknowledge a dependence on him and our gratitude to him for the blessings that he has bestowed upon this nation? And one of the things that bothers some of us is that all of that um, hesitation and that resistance, it's kind of it's camouflaged as compassion or um, concern. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, we want to be equal opportunity, non-offenders. You know, we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable that might, um, you know, not believe in God. And, uh, but really underneath it is this growing resistance to recognize God in our nation. We would rather take the risk of offending God, God who we are dependent upon every day, God who, who has blessed our nation beyond comprehension, um, God uh, who our national leaders throughout the history of our nation had no problem recognizing and admitting dependence upon. We'd rather risk offending him than a, a small percentage of people who say they don't believe. And the thing about that is, is that those people who say they don't believe in God, they really couldn't care less if we talk about God because they don't believe in any of it anyway. And listen, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake, but who cares what I think, right? What we know is this, is that this attitude and this resistance to admitting nationally our dependence upon God, this is a radical departure from our history. Not, not only that, but it's a radical departure from our national motto, right? Our national motto in God, we trust, right? You, you carry it around in your pocket. If it, it, well, maybe not all of you carry cash anymore, but you've, you've got, if you got paper money in your pocket, you pull it out. There it is in God, we trust. It's our national motto. And if that's our natural motto, why in the world would we have so much trouble acknowledging God in government or acknowledging our dependence on God, acknowledging our gratitude? Why the pushback? Why the camouflage of, of, of sensitivity? I mean, the whole thing, I look at it and the whole thing, it just, it's beyond me. Now, the interesting thing is, um, is that not only are there stories from our own history that would draw us back um, to feeling more comfortable with public discussion about God, but there's a really interesting story in the Old Testament that has inspired some of our national leaders in days gone by to be public about their gratitude towards God. All right, because they understood the connection that existed between gratitude towards God and the blessings of God. This story, it takes place about 10th century BC. Um, Solomon was the king. It was the golden age uh, of Israel. They had lots of money. They had no debt. They were being attacked by no nations. Um, everything was going well. Other nations would bar from them. Solomon was wise. Leaders from surrounding nations would come just to sit and listen to him talk about the things that he would talk about to ask him questions about how he did things. 
The borders were established. Things had never been better for the nation of Israel. And in this time, Solomon had built his temple, right? Which was one of the the wonders of the world. Um, And they had gotten to the point where the temple was done and they were about to dedicate this temple to God. And as part of, Part of the circumstances surrounding the dedication that I want to read, um, part of that is a prayer that Solomon prays. And in his prayer, he prays for you. Solomon, 10th century BC, prays for you in this prayer. And he connects the dots between our gratitude towards God and our acknowledgement of God and God's willingness to bless a nation. So, So here's the picture. Picture it, if you will. Israel. 10th century BC. It's opening day of the temple. The outer court is just jammed with people. I mean, the rooftops around are just lined of people trying to be able to see. Every window has someone hanging out of it to see what's going on, listening to the dedication of this absolutely magnificent temple. And then out walks Solomon to a a ton of pomp and circumstance because he's the most powerful person in the world at this time. And here's what happens. Second Chronicles chapter six. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel. Everybody who could get in was there. Everyone, everyone, everyone who could squeeze in. It was as tight as they could get try and find any kind of view. They were all there. And so the Lord, in front of the whole assembly of Israel, here comes Solomon. He stood before the altar and he spread out his hands. And then the author kind of takes us a step back to explain the context of what Solomon is about to do. Here he explains it to us. He says, now he, Solomon, had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and had placed it in the center of the outer court. So he makes this platform that it, when you, you know, when you, when you convert the cubits, it gets to be about five feet tall, this platform that Solomon has made. And he puts it right in the center of the largest gathering area. And here's what he did. He stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel. Now, this is an awkward moment. And the reason that it's an awkward moment is because it is awkward when your national leader kneels. Think about it. What's your last memory of a president kneeling down on a knee? It's awkward. And my hunch is that in that giant plaza packed full of people, that when the king knelt, everyone there knelt as well. Because after all, Solomon was the king. And he had elevated himself on this platform that he built so that everyone could see this. So that everyone could see, I, Solomon, most powerful man in the world, most wise man in the world, richest man in the world. I am not too proud to kneel. I am not too proud to kneel at a time 
when he needed nothing. At a time when there was more wealth than he could possibly ever spend. At a time when there were no enemies knocking at the gate of Israel. At a time when things would never be better. In the midst of all of that blessing, Solomon, Solomon, the wisest, most powerful person in the world, before his people, kneels with his arms extended. All to say, both publicly and and symbolically, though I am king, I am a king under authority. Though I am an authority, I am not the final authority. I recognize there is a God who reigns over even me. He knelt and he spread out his hands towards heaven. Can you imagine the moment? And then he begins to pray and and he prays for God to bless the people. Fill the temple with your presence, God. Lead us when we go astray, discipline us. And when you discipline us, help us recognize that it is not up to us to save us. That when you are disciplining us because we are going astray, we are to look to you. In other words, he admits to his people as wealthy and as powerful as I am, apart from the blessing of God, we will not remain as a nation in a position of strength. And then in the middle of the prayer, he prays for you and he prays for me. Check this out. This is fascinating. He says, as for foreigners who do not belong to your people, Israel, that would be me and you. We're the foreigners, the Gentiles, the outsiders who looked at Israel at that time and said, wow, I wish that we could be like them. I wish I was one of them. Here's what he prays for the foreigners, the outsiders. When they come and pray towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. In other words, he's saying, God, I don't want you to just hear the prayers of the Israelites. I I, I want you to hear any foreigner, anyone who puts their trust in you and lifts their voice and admits their dependence on you. God, I want you to hear their voice. And then look look what he asked God. Says, I want you to hear them and do whatever the foreigner asks of you. So that, and then he gives us God's agenda, right? And Solomon, in all of his splendor, understood God's agenda was bigger than him, was bigger than the nation. So that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel. And listen, this is so powerful. This is why he says, God, I know that you are up to something bigger than this individual nation. I know that you want, um, you want the leaders and the people of all nations to know you, to respect you, to declare their dependence on you. And the Bible says that when he finished this prayer, that in some sort of mystical way, the spirit of God inhabited the temple that Solomon had built. And when the day was over and the celebration was wrapped up and uh, Solomon was exhausted, he retreated to his bed. And when he did, God spoke to him. 
And here's what God said. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. In other words, I'm answering your prayer and I am dwelling in this temple. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. In other words, when the time comes that Israel turns its back on me or becomes so wealthy and independent that it begins to ask, who is the Lord? I will judge the nation. I will judge the people. And when you know that my judgment is on the land, here's God's promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will hear their land, heal their land. Wow. I mean, that's quite the promise. Now, the interesting thing is, is that this was a promise to Solomon and to the nation of Israel. But Solomon understood, just as leaders of our nation in the past have understood, just as the leaders of Europe at one point have understood that there is a correlation between humility before God and the blessings of God. Some of you know this personally. You've experienced this in your own family. Some of you went through a time when you were arrogant and you were self-centered and you thought that you had control of your life. And circumstances broke you and you threw your hands up to God and you said, listen, this is beyond me. I do not have a control of this. From now on, I will obey you. And God restored you or he restored your marriage or your finances or he restored you to your children. You know intuitively that there is a relationship between humility before God and blessings. And what is true personally, Solomon knew was true nationally. And what was true nationally for Israel is true for all nations, all nations. And here's how we know it because of this part of the prayer, do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Now our our founding fathers with all of their faults and make no mistake, they had a lot. And with all of the things that we don't like about what they set up and did, And then there's a list, slavery, women couldn't vote. I mean, just, there's so many things. But the one thing that they got right, the one thing that they understood was that there was a connection between humility and the posture of a nation and God's willingness to bless it. And there are so many examples of this as you look back over the history of our nation. Uh, One of the most startling examples happened in the middle of the Civil War. Now, the thing about the Civil War that we can't comprehend is that we know how it ended. We know who won. But in the middle of it, nobody knew which way it was going to go. 
Nobody knew who was going to be victorious. In the middle of it, hundreds of thousands of men had died. Tens of thousands had been mortally wounded. Their lives would never be the same. Both the North and the South were bankrupt. And no one knew how it was going to end. In the middle of it all, a senator from Iowa named James Harlan brought a resolution to the Senate that called for a national day of prayer and fasting. And the resolution passed immediately and went to President Lincoln to be signed. And when it came to his desk, Lincoln read it and he signed it. And, and here's what it said. And this would be unimaginable today. But as you hear these words, try and imagine the fear and uncertainty that was prevalent in the time that this was written. You talk about a need for a way forward for a nation. This was it. Here's what it says. Whereas the Senate of the United States of America, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God, in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the president to designate and set apart a day of national prayer and humiliation, which was fasting. And whereas it is the duty of nations, as well as of men, to their own dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sin and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with a short hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy. That came from the Senate. Those were all Bible phrases, right? What were they thinking? That's religious talk, right? What business of it is theirs to call a nation to repentance? Besides, they were the North. Wasn't it the South that needed to repent? Right? And everybody that was in the South and fighting for that side, they thought they were right. Wasn't it the North that needed to repent? Why in the midst of a civil war, when you thought you were on God's side, would you call for repentance? It goes on. That repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures. Oh, whoa, 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 you can't say that. A president can't, a president can't sign that. A Senate can't write that. What? Recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all of history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord, which was a direct reference to Psalms chapter 33. And I read that and I wonder what has happened to us? What has happened? If it's good enough for Abraham Lincoln, it's good enough for me, right? Why have we lost our ability to speak about God? Our ability on a national level to declare our dependence on God. Listen, 99% of Americans on their deathbed will we'll admit and declare their dependence on God. People who haven't been to church in decades will call on a priest or a pastor. People who realize that they, they, they suddenly have no control left over their life will suddenly look up to the one who has control. So why can't we bring it back into the national conversation? 
Admit we're helpless without God. Admit we're dependent upon God. But in all of our education and affluence and arrogance, our in, independence, our concern over offending a few, look at where we're at. The most blessed nation in the world in every conceivable manner is falling apart at the seams. The world is watching our nation fall apart. How could that happen? How could it happen? In the midst, and in the midst of our desperation, why not throw our hands up nationally and say, God, this is bigger than us. We need you. And when are we going to no longer resist inviting God into the conversation? Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear about what I am not talking about. What I am not talking about is getting together saying, the only person that can fix it is God, and then doing nothing. We cannot use God to absolve ourselves of responsibility of acting. But we must include God. Here's what else I'm not talking about when I say bring God into the national conversation. I am not talking about invoking the name of God and leveraging God's name to forward our own political agenda. That is not what I'm talking about. And make no mistake, Christians have lost influence with the nation and the world because they have leveraged the name of God for their own personal policies and agendas. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about bringing God into the conversation. I'm saying that the only way forward for our nation is for us to declare our dependence on God to be able to move forward. That we are not wise enough. We don't know the way to go. That we're so in over our heads that without God's mercy guiding us and lifting us, we can't move forward. We can't move forward until we stop saying, we are the United States of America, the greatest nation in the history of the world. We will figure this out. No, we won't. We will continue to fall apart like every other previous greatest nation in the history of the world. When we collectively begin to say, in God we trust and with his help, we can figure this out. That is when, we will find the way forward. Listen, now more than ever, we need to take a posture of a people and a nation who are willing to declare our dependence on God. And if we do, perhaps we will then begin to move forward. And there will be a revival and an awe and respect and reverence for the almighty God. And perhaps, perhaps the rest of the world will then look at us and wonder how it is that we are the way that we are. And with the whole world looking, 
we will point to God. It is the only way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the incredible examples preserved in these texts that we can watch as the wisest, most powerful man in the world kneels before his people and admits his dependence on you. God, let our nation learn its lesson that God, apart from you, we are destined for destruction. We are wholly, completely dependent upon you. God, we humbly ask that you give us the wisdom to show us the way forward so that we can recover from all of the things that are tearing our nation apart. God, we are in over our heads. We cannot do it apart from you. Please, please show us the way. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Even in our times of pride and arrogance, do not remove it from us. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I look forward to next week as we wrap up this series, The Way Forward.